Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Um, thank you for joining us on another episode of I Am Dad Podcast. We are having an awesome season thus far with the conversations um, around responsible fatherhood, manhood, and anything family related. And so as we continue through 2024, we really want to play a role in elevating this conversation. Um, and more specifically for black fathers and their families. So sometimes we're going to have conversations that are specific to black fathers. Sometimes we're going to be talking about their families. We might be talking about moms. We might be talking about children. But anything that's related to uh, black dads and their families, we're going to be talking about in 2024. So my guests today are going to help me talk about a report that we've had the pleasure of creating in our relationship with the Morehouse School of Medicine. And so the report is called The Dynamics of Atlanta Black Dads, Unpacking the Myths and Realities of Non-Resident Fatherhood in Fulton. And I have the pleasure today of having two of the fellows, in fact, the co-chairs of the Monahan Institute for Fatherhood Research and Policy uh, with me today. And we're going to be talking about this report because we have an event that's coming up that we want to encourage everyone who's in the metro Atlanta area to attend. I've not decided if I'm going to um, stream that event yet. People have asked. I'm thinking about it, but I'm waiting for our numbers to get up a little bit before I do that. But today we're going to talk about the report and give you some insight that hopefully encourages you to come out um, to our event at Pittsburgh Yards on February 20th. Dr. Wilborn, Dr. Shears, how you guys doing? Good afternoon. Doing good. Doing great. Thanks for the invitation. Doing no problem. Listen, let's start out, and y'all can start out in any order that you want to start out. Um, I'm not going to veer off from what I do with all of my other um, podcasts. Both of you have been on before, but we're going to do it again because that's the dance we do when we do I Am Dad podcast. Tell me your daddy story. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good start. I forgot. I forgot this is how we start. Um, <laughs> so tell, tell you my daddy's story. Um, I'm a daddy's girl, daddy's girl. Um, complicated because my, my parents divorced when I was really young. So my dad was present, but he was absent. So he was physically absent, but very much present in my life. So it made me understand the importance of having a father but also the nuance of wanting your daddy to be physically present, even though he was very much a part of my life. So his, you know, him, that, that sort of nuanced relationship has impacted me in both positive and in some negative ways, but overall a daddy's girl for sure. Um, Let's see. That's a great question. So um, I always had a great relationship with my dad. Um, Hey, I, I just, uh, I just shared with him on Father's Day just about how appreciative I am of, of his beginnings and where he comes from. And, and I always say, hey, growing up in the rural South and didn't have the best education in the world and had a kid way too young. 
Um, but, you know, he married my mom and uh, raised my brother and I. And, and I applaud him because I say, hey, you raised two men. And I'm appreciative of some mm. of the crazy stuff you used to do, <laughs> making sure we're in line, but that he raised two men and we're successful. And I, I literally patterned my fathering after my dad. So super appreciative of him. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I just think that, you know, when you hear stories, it does two things. It allows people insight into you, um, but it also allows people to find themselves in you. Um, because I know a lot of people think that their daddy's story is only their story. Your daddy's story is, to a certain extent, your only story. But there are many elements of your daddy's story that many of us um, experience, regardless of whether or not he is physically um, connected to us or not. And that's a great leeway. I'm glad you started off with that, Dr. Uh, Wilbon in, in terms of talking about him being present but not physically because this whole notion of this report that we just did is talking specifically about non-resident dads. And I've been sharing with people this kind of awareness and or epiphany that I've had in the last several months or so about this whole notion of non-resident as my youngest daughter was, is, was pregnant with her child. And her and I had gone out to dinner or something one day and we were having this conversation and I was just so joyful in front of her knowing all that she has accomplished and made all the right decisions and how happy we are that she's that I now have a third grandchild. And but we were talking about this notion of non-resident. And I said to her, I said, do you know that there are elements of your life that I don't know anything about? And she's like, what What are you talking about? I said, do you know that I don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and see you standing in the refrigerated door? I said, do you know I don't know what it's like for you to come home having a bad day? I said, do you know I don't know what it's like firsthand when you have a, a relationship that breaks up and trying to help you manifest, or not manifest that, or manage that emotion from first sight? Mm -hmm. I said, many times when those events happen in your life, I don't experience them I've been informed by them. I said, so as great of a dad as I am in your life, I need you to understand the elements of your life that I've missed out on over the 20 some odd years of your life of no fault of mine, of no fault of yours, of no fault of your mom's. They simply happened because I was non-resident. And we have to take those things into consideration when we're working with our dads. That's what I love about this particular report. Can the two of you share with me um, why this report or why you both felt that doing this report was important with respect to talking about black fathers in Fulton County? Sure. So, um, you know, we always, you know, I, I often start presentations with every child has a father somewhere. And I always, let, you know, allow that to marinate a little bit. Like it, it's a father somewhere. And um, oftentimes in the social service system, in the community, in the communities that we're often reared in, we don't think about that father that want to be there, want to be involved. But as you just said, Kenny, for whatever circumstances can't be. And so uh, one of the things that we explored was, you know, what are their experiences, you know, um, what is it? What is the experience of a single father who may not have had a father and now has a child that's a non-residential father? And 
Uh, we rarely hear his side of the story of what it's, what's that's like, of wanting to be involved with his child and wanting to be a caretaker, want to be a provider, but it's, as I said, just, it's, just can't be in the home. And so, and really to dig deep in what are the supports that he needs or what are supports that he perceived that he needs to be the type of father he wants to be. And I just want to, to recognize being the type of father that he wants to be, that these men all want to be great fathers. They all want to be involved. And um, But what is it like that they can't be the type of fathers that they want to be or what supports do they need to be the type of fathers that they want to be? And so it was really good just to hear um, their challenges, their triumphs, and to paint a picture of this non-residential, non-involved dad that is not really what we have painted in America, that these guys really want to be involved with their children. I would just add to that. Um, I would echo, of course, what Dr. Shear said. And I just wanted to sort of add to the last part, because for me, that that was key. We have this image. When you say black dad, there are so many stereotypes that come up. Society already suggests, you know, uh, black dads aren't present. You know, it's the, it's the quote unquote strong mom and she's the one that's doing everything. But to Jeff's point, we don't really get a picture of why, you know, we see the things that we see or to make an assumption that just because someone isn't physically present, that doesn't mean they don't want to be a good father. And it doesn't mean that they aren't doing things. I mean, some of these fathers that we talk to, they're doing the best that they can, understanding that there are some of these barriers. When I think about my own father, he lived in Atlanta and we lived in Kentucky. I would not have gotten the education that I got, that I you know, received, had my father not financially assisted. I wouldn't have been exposed to the world at, like I was had my father not been there. And so I think being able to see these fathers in light of their own story, it, it yet amplifies their voices and gives power back to them to say, yes, I want to be a good father, but there are some of these challenges that we need to consider. So to me, that's what makes one of the things that makes this study so powerful. And, and just to add one more thing to this, Kenny, because yeah, just to add one more thing to this is we have to understand that there's a whole part of when we work with families and mothers or whatever. It's a whole nother part of that child's life. And it's, um, you know, given that about 45 percent of African-American children grow up in, in motherhood households. So it's a whole nother aspect of this child's life that we need to engage in for us to have healthy families and communities. You know, there's a lot of research that's coming out right now um, that's talking about um, cohabitation and, and, and the residence of dads, right, and what that looks like for children in America. Um, there was just a research study that was dropped by the um, University of Bowling Green um, about probably a couple of months now ago, ago now ago, and the report talks about um, the numbers of children that live with their biological parents. And the report reveals that 93% of all children born in America live with their biological mom, 93% of them. But the number that I was warmed my heart and gave a different narrative that we have to dig a little into, and they didn't aggregate this into race, and so I'm not exactly sure what it looks like for black fathers. But 70 plus percent, 70 plus percent of all children born in America live with either their biological father or their adoptive father. 
That's a huge number because that's not the narrative. It means that we're functioning and talking in the 30% space, right? Mm -hmm. And even though that we're talking in the 30% space, that 30% space doesn't say that fathers are not involved in the lives of their children, right? Just because they don't happen to live with them. As you guys talk to these dads, were there any epiphany moments or anything that you heard from them that you were like, wow, didn't think about that? Well, let me let me piggyback off what you said, too, about um, the co-parenting, the, the, the cohabitation piece. So one of the things in doing this work, we used to talk about fatherlessness as being non-residential. And, I'm, and thankfully, we've moved from that idea that fatherlessness is the person that doesn't reside. And so um, now fatherlessness is not being engaged and what have you. And so. Uh, I'm glad you bring that up because when we started doing this work, fatherlessness was really about residential and non-residential. And you have a lot of fathers. Some of these, many of these men, I would say, that was in a study that are super involved. They get the kids on the weekend. They, they uh, regularly mm-hmm. talk. They regularly get visitation. Um, the one thing that was surprising to me, and I kind of knew this, but really sitting down talking to these fathers um, and sharing their stories is, the value of fatherhood to children. Like, um, I kind of break it down to kind of three levels. Most folks um, don't understand the importance of fathers in the lives of children. And then you have another level of like, well, um, if father is a provider, then he's good. And then rarely do you have most people's society to understand the unique contributions in the lives of children that fathers make. And so the kind of thing that blew me away with some of these uh, conversations with dads was that a lot of the pushback they get to be the type of father they want to be was coming from the child's mother. And I like I think, you know, and not no fault of the moms, but, you know, um, a lot of these fathers reported that the mothers of their children did not have great relationships with their dads. And so now you have a mother who don't understand that keeping my child from, from his father, that that child could potentially grow up with a deficit and that fathers have unique parenting styles and that children need both parents. And so you have a mom with the not understanding the importance of fathers because she didn't have one and maybe there was not a lot of fathers in her community or her life. And to see how mothers uh, didn't support in some instances, in some of these cases, there were a lot of mothers who did, but and a lot of times, mothers were the gatekeepers or mothers were huge barriers to fathers being the type of fathers they want to be. And um, I think we need to, you know, help educate a lot of fathering workers with men, but we surely need to help educate women on the importance of fathers in the lives of children and their unique contributions. Mm. I would say for me, Kenny, I don't know that this was a, an epiphany, but I appreciated the humanity As we talked about before, we all have a story and, you know, if we're not careful, black men will only be statistics. That's what we like to talk about. But talking to these fathers, many of them were very reflective and very vulnerable. They talked about feeling inadequate when they first found out they were going to be fathers. They talked about their fears. They talked about understanding their need for help, right? Um, So to me, again, one of the the positives and the takeaways from this report is understanding that fathers don't, they know they don't know at all. They have their own father story. They have their own perspective and that they know that they need help. If there were more supports 
um, to sort of, you know, dismantle these barriers. They, they want to be able to do that so that they can be good fathers. But just seeing them as, as humans, right, as, as feeling, as vulnerable, that was really, really important for me. You know, when I think about their awareness of fatherhood, um, I was being interviewed the other day and a young lady asked me if I thought that there was something um, that men became aware of in the last decade or so um, that makes them more aware of the kind of father that they are, right? And I said, well, I think two things has happened over the last 10 years or so um, that has allowed men to be more conscious of their fatherhood. I said, from a woman's perspective, I said, women have learned how to and are now extremely effective in embracing this whole notion of empowerment or power, right? How do you empower yourself to break the glass ceiling, to continue to achieve, to close disparities, to be more engaged, to equal the playing field, all of those things. And they've redefined for themselves what empowerment and power looks like. At the same time, men have figured out how to embrace this nurture, this, this notion of nurturing. Right. What does nurturing look like and how do I keep my masculinity and my manhood and still being able to also show my ability to know, nurture and have capacity? And I said, I think that's one of the primary reasons that men have been able to now embrace this whole notion of fatherhood in a way that our forefathers have not were not able to do because it was society that told them what a man looked like and what a father looked like. And those things were mm -hmm. contradictive to what an individual should do in raising a child. When you were mm -hmm. interviewing these fathers, did you see or hear that there really was an acute awareness from them that they understood the magnitude of them being that's their children? I would say from my perspective, yes, from the, the, from the study itself and from the, the men that I talked to, um, they did, of course, talk about the feeling unequipped or inadequate, but um, I talked to one in particular and just the joy that was coming because we asked a question about, you know, what did you feel like when you first found out? And there was just such a, a deep sense of joy and it took him back to his, his his father and how he was fathered. So it brought some fears. But but when I, you know, we also asked, you know, what does being a father mean to you? And many of them were able to articulate, you know, from their perspective, what that means, taking care of the child physically, mentally, spiritually, all of those things. So for many of them, I feel like they had a sense of what it meant to be a father. They had a deep respect for, for fatherhood. They reflected on their own you know, being fathered and, and their modeling of their father. Yet there was that balance with the other parts of that, with the fear and all of those other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I echoed some, I echoed that too. So um, in the conversation and interviewing these men, um, to piggyback on what Matisse said, she's, you know, about um, recognizing they didn't have all the answers. And mm -hmm. ironically, um, a couple of them had heard about fathering services on the radio um, and was like, whoa, that, that's what I need. I mean, just so just think about what mindset you have to be in and you hear an opportunity to improve or to address your own 
perceived weaknesses in being a dad, you immediately like, oh, I need to, I need to call, I need to, I need to join it, I need to figure out what's going on. So that right there, I think, puts my role as a father is important. Okay, regardless of where I come from, or my relationship with my dad, or community, whatever. Like I now recognize that what I'm doing is important, and I've said that. Uh, Kenny, you, you've said like over the last 10 years that men know, fathers know we need to be doing something, right? Like we, what we're doing is important. It has impact. What exactly am I supposed to be doing or whatever I think is the next level of this is why we're important, you know, to move away from just being that provider role. But that's easily recognizable when men hear a radio broadcast about some fathering support services and a fatherhood program. And they recognize enough, like, I'm going to call them because I want to be the best dad I can be. I think that is, I think that's huge in telling uh, where these men are and uh, the things they need to be, the types of fathers they want to be. One of the things that I've noticed um, as it relates to our dads and obstacles is that there are things that are occurring in our society today that are elevating and are exposing where the lack of services become an issue for our dad. Um, one of those spaces is when we're talking about infant morbidity and, and maternal um, mortality. Is that how that phrase is, Dr. Mm-hmm. Wilbon? Uh, talking about, talk about our moms that are, yeah. that are, um, yes. are not Dying. making it off the birthing table. And so the yes. conversation that we're not having a lot about is that many times and oftentimes when this is occurring, these children are ending up with their dads who are now single dads. And these dads are going and they are looking for equal services that mothers would get if something unfortunate would happen to dad. And they're running into issues because a lot of these services are not friendly to dads, even in this space, even as a result of what's happening. As you were talking to these dads, what were some of the barriers and issues that they were having with finding real support for the things that they needed in order to be the dads that they desired? Well, they definitely highlighted, um, they definitely highlighted, you know, the lack of, of support and, and they lifted up though, you know, those places where they found support. Um, one thing that we've not talked about that we, we talk about a lot with the Moynihan Institute, um, and also for Fathers Incorporated is this whole idea of legitimation, you know, the policy where fathers legally have to prove um, paternity administratively and just the cost and all of the things and and the education. And so we did have fathers talk about um, those issues. So we know that there are some policies and and some challenges as far as that's concerned. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I know legitimation was, yeah, legitimation was an issue. And I'm glad Dr. Wilbon was, you know, able to to discuss that because that's, that's kind of a, a, in my mind, a Georgia thing. Um, but the other piece, as a social worker, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we ask fathers what community support is available to help you to to navigate your role as a father, and then we ask you what are other supports. And so it was, you know, um, disturbing where these men who want to be good dads say they don't have any community supports. There are no social service agencies. Um, no, you know, whether it's social service, community supports to help them be the type of father they want to be. And I just want to go back to, we're talking about holistic 
families, communities, yet half of these folks don't feel they have any community supports to be the type of parent they want to be. Uh, we're, we're missing a boat as a social service community, social service agencies and, and community supports. We're missing a boat when it means like, I don't have anything. And when men, you know, these fathers say, well, you know, my family, my mom, and they was, you know, kind of talk to them, you know, they might have had a brother or sister or whatever to help them be the type of father they want to be. But we really need to increase the resources um, that are available to all fathers, particularly non-residential, uh, non-custodial fathers. And in addition to maternal health, um, you know, we're looking at every other thing. I'm super interested in the topic. We look at every other thing to, you know, uh, re to reduce infant mortality and to increase maternal health. But we never look at men. All these pregnancies is a dad somewhere. So how can how can father how can we use fathers as a resource to um, increase you know, healthy outcomes for mothers and children during pregnancy and birth? Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that because that's something you know that leans into this next question that I have for you, um, Dr. Wilbon, which is um, from the report itself, like from a research perspective, because that's where we're gonna be talking about, what are we missing? What is left to be researched that we need to know more about so that it can inform us on how we can encourage those who are in position to create programs, agencies, organizations, and pathways for fathers to be great fathers. What does the research tell us or what additional research should we be thinking about to help inform us in that area? I would just say we need to replicate this one. I mean, we did this in Fulton County with a, you know, a small subset of fathers and we got some really important information. I think Jess started out with this, talking about this earlier. You know, we know we have all of these statistics about black fathers, but there's not enough research hearing their stories, highlighting their needs. And I think if we can replicate it on a larger scale even do it in you know various cities, we can get even more information that can inform us on what they need. And I, I wanted to just comment on what you all asked before. You talked about, you know, father the report showed us that fathers don't they don't know where these supports are. Just to highlight what Jeff said, if someone listening to the radio hearing about an organization who can potentially hit help, that shows you that there is a hunger, there is a there is a need that we're not feeling. So I think if we can get these stories, do research where we can hear what these what these fathers need and then put these things in place, it's going to impact fathers, lift up families and impact whole communities. So just doing more of this kind of research. Yes. Jeff, when um, you think about the translation of research, um, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to add, you know, just uh, add to that, like, yeah, we need to duplicate this in other cities to make sure that, um, you know, there are unique, unique experiences in other communities. And we also need to figure out, and I don't know how to do it, but we need to figure out how to improve co-parenting. When you got 45% of our kids growing up in the household with a mom and she goes out, maybe gets another partner, the dad goes out and get another partner and it's, it's, it doesn't have to be chaos, but sometimes it is. And so we got to figure out to heal our communities and have 
safe, stable parenting relationships, we got to figure out how to co-parent. And we, we probably need to offer a, a ton of services to figure this out in our community. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about with our Gentle Warriors Academy here in Atlanta, particularly when OFA comes out with their new round of funding in 2025, is that we should, in addition to applying for another fatherhood grant, we should be applying for the relationship grant as well. Because I think that, to your point, there should be a bridge from our fathers from helping them build their capacity to be the best that they want to be to then bringing in the rest of the family, whether it is the co-resident mom of their children or other children or the wife or whoever, that to your point about informing moms about the importance of fatherhood, I think that's where that occurs in the co-parenting space. What's your thought about that? No, I, I think that's super important. So, um, because even in our workforce, so I'm a, so I'm a social worker and um, social work educator. And, you know, when I've done trainings, two day trainings on how to increase your capacity to work with fathers, you know, I'm trying to give you some tools for your tool belt, you, you, how to engage where, where he may be coming from, um, his perception of social services, trying to give you these tools to increase the agency's capacity to work with fathers. I often find that it's personal to people who do this work in communities where, you know, they said in a two-day seminar and say, because of your presentation, because I said in this training, I sent my child's father her prom pictures. Well, that let me know that there are some other issues going on. You're, you have issues with your own father or you have issues with romantic relations with your child's father. And so, and these are people who work in these communities. These are professionals. And so um, that certainly lends to um, mothers who have a relationship, who had a, not had a great relationship with their fathers and now are on the outs with, with their former romantic partner, not being um, motivated to co-parent with their child's father. Mm-hmm. As experts in this space, um, Dr. Wilbon, what do you think um, is what do you think people should understand more about Black Father as it relates to both challenges and triumphs? What should they know? What should they know? Uh, I think Black Fathers, I'll, I'll start with the latter. Black Fathers are um, capable, whole, resourceful, want to be in their child's lives. Many of them are much more than the stereotype would suggest um, and are necessary. They are necessary for the triumph of their children, the triumph of the community. Um, When it comes to the challenges, some of them are within, you know, internal. Some of them are external. And I think um, we have to look at the father as a whole person and stop denigrating or, or narrowly defining who black fathers are. They are living, breathing people with fears and inadequacies, but also with um, desires to be good fathers. They need helps and supports just like mothers do, right? None of us look at mothers. When we look at mothers, we say, oh, they need support. We need to help them because they're trying to be great mothers and their families. We need to look at fathers in the exact same way. 
as opposed to suggesting that their inadequacies are inherent and, and it's just because they don't want to be good. No, we need to, to give supports. We need to present helps to fathers so that they can be everything that they desire to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dish, she dropped the mic. You ain't got nothing to say. Yeah, exactly. yeah. She, I don't know what to say after she that. Me, she had me, she, yeah, she had me shake my head like, yeah, what? <laughs> she hit the, the nail on the head. Yeah, not much to add to that. For real. We, we just got to change perceptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as we close out, because we got about five more minutes to go, um, share any personal um, insights and reflections that you had as a result of doing this report, something that stands out for you, maybe have inspired you, um, have encouraged you to do more, something that is really personal to you that you gleam as a re- you gleamed as a result of doing this report. Can I start, Dr. Woodburn? Okay. okay. Go ahead. Um, so, yes. so, yeah. so part of so part of you know just to do the little research part. So we we did individual interviews, which were about about an hour. You know, you, you can get look at the report, the number of the questions that we asked dads. And then we did a focus group to get more information and then to circle back about what we found in our final analyses and just to share, you know, the, to kind of fact check with uh, the fathers. And I was super surprised when they were like several guys like, well, can we do this again? It was totally blown away. I've been doing studies for 20 years and I've never had. A, a group of people, participants in a research study who are like, hey, hey, uh, hey, doc, can, can we get on? Can we get on a call again? Maybe next month. And to me, it was like, yeah, man, these these dudes really don't have supports. Like it was therapeutic to sit in a focus group in a couple of the focus groups with them and have them talk and share and feed off each other. Um, and I just think, you know, as Black men, we often don't have that community where we can really talk about our triumphs. We can kind of be vulnerable and talk about, you know, just things. And so I'm telling you, I just just want to in many studies I participated in data and focus groups I've done. I've never had participants ask if we can do this again. And so I think it's really telling when these guys say, hey, I don't have the supports that I needed to be the father that I want to be. And to be able to, to, you know, knock ideas and share experiences with other men, I think was really telling um, and, and really important into what men need and what they want. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wilbon, you got the last word. I think for me, I'll just end where I start started. Um, as I talked about my dad in the beginning, I think this work for me, the work that I've been doing, generally speaking, but specifically to the study, it, it's made me just go back and tell my dad, thank you more. Um, as someone growing up with my dad who was non-residential, um, there were times that I unfortunately lifted up the times that he couldn't physically be there or you know what some of those kind of barriers were. But the reality is he was very present. I am the woman I am because much, you know, most, a lot of because of what my dad did, he pressed in beyond the barriers. He did whatever he could. Even though he and my mom, there was some conflict there. And I didn't realize it when I was younger, but as an adult, I've heard stories and seeing my story reflected in in some of these men's stories has been really, um, really helpful for me in my relationship with my own father. 
So it's allowing me just to tell them, thank you. You're there. You were there as much as you could be. And that was enough. Mm, thank you so much for that. Um, Dr. Wilbon, Dr. Shears, thank you. I appreciate you guys for all the work that you do with the Monahan Institute. We got so much more to do, so much um, to accomplish and so many places to go. I'm excited about 2024 um, and where this goes. Um, the report is called Dynamics of Atlanta Black Dads, Unpacking the Myths and Realities of Non-Resident Fatherhood in Fulton County. You can download the report as well as register for the February 20th form at themornahaninstitute.com. Once again, themornahaninstitute.com. To all my podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to us again. You know how I like to leave you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself, or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And as my good friend and mentor Art Mitchell always said to me, it's nice to be important, but it's so much important to be nice. To next Sunday. Peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs>